Good morning, this is your host Rusty James. It is Friday, August 28th, 2015, and this is The Ride. Well, I wanna welcome you here for The Ride today, my daily commute. Every day I do something new, I think. <laughs> you tell me if you're getting something new every day. I don't know where I'm going every day, so I'm figuring it's new, a new word, something we all need to hear. I enjoy listening to it, so I'm hoping that you do too. I had a note yesterday to, hey, make sure that you uh, you know, share these with your friends on social media, Twitter and SoundCloud and Facebook and all the rest. You know what to do. And, uh, you know, we're finding that there's people in other countries that are listening to this, which is really cool. In fact, there was one day that, I don't know, maybe five Russians were checking it out and, and a whole lot of Dutch people in the Netherlands. And then, of course, you get all sorts of, you get some Argentina and this, that, and the other thing. It's pretty cool. So, just encourage, want to encourage you to send this out. I believe that if it's speaking to you at all, it'll speak to others, too. So, anyway, if you listened yesterday, you knew that I was looking at finding more about the life of Hezekiah, a king of Judah, and one of my favorite kings, because as we'll find out today, in 2 Kings 18, I think is where you'll find his story beginning, and you find out pretty quickly that you know, the thing that he was uh, remembered for, one of the things, is the fact that he took down all of the high places, which were altars and idols to gods other than the Lord God. And he meant business. He took them down. And it, it's recorded that there was no king like him before or after. Oh, that's pretty cool. Have that on your resume. Rusty James. There was no one like him before or after. Well, that's true. I guess it's true. If you put it that way, you know, put your name in the blank there and there it's true. There will be no one like you before or after. You are definitely unique. And you will definitely have a call on your life. And I pray that you are able to meet that call. Well, anyway, Hezekiah, you know, you're thinking, well, gee, Hezekiah, he did the right thing. The Lord was with him. And you know what? The Lord was with him. They had success. They had success after success. But there was a period of time where he was challenged by the king of Assyria. 
See, at the time, the king of Assyria, you didn't mess around with this dude. He's kind of like... He's kind of like the guy from Sparta. You know, kicking dudes down big old wells. Except he was saying, This is Assyria! He just didn't mess around with them. And the... the uh, the person that spoke for the king of Assyria came and told Hezekiah and his people, look man, no one stops this king. Look at all these other people groups that have been laid to waste because of this king. And it's going to be the same for you. And, you know, and they called on their gods. And are you going to rely on the Egyptians? Or you tell us if you're going to rely on your God. Because it looks like to me, you don't have the fighting force to take on the king of Assyria and his armies. Looks like in the natural, you got nothing going on. And that's how it works when the enemy comes against you and says, Look, it looks like in the natural, you got nothing Well, Hezekiah and his people knew that they were relying on the Lord and they were not relying on Egypt. Egypt is kind of a picture of the natural way to battle, you know, the way that you would rely on your own methods. But they relied on the Lord. And I would think that, you know, with Hezekiah's track record of being the man for God and doing everything right in the sight of God that he could have that peace in it, in him in himself that he could rely that his God would back him up and that's that's what he did but that doesn't mean that the enemy didn't come against him right he did everything right in the sight of the Lord but yet the enemy still came against him and still challenged him. In fact, so much so much stress was in that challenge that the the people who heard it, Hezekiah's people who heard it, they tore their clothes. And if you don't know the Old Testament much, that's kind of a symbol of, you know, what can we do? We we tear our clothes. They would get in ashes and sackcloths, and woe is me. And come before God and say, there is nothing that we can do. We're kind of reducing ourselves to the dust of the earth. Because we know we rely on you, God. Help us out here. What are you going to do when they come for me? And so they consulted Isaiah, the prophet. And they said, this is what that, that group of people said. And Isaiah relates or um, tells them what the Lord said. He says that I'll be with you, and surely that king will not even set foot in what you have. And that's a nice picture to have, is that the, the enemy will not even set foot in what you have, in what land you occupy. 
So it's a picture for us right now that that enemy's banter was just that. It was just banter. He says, I'm going to control you. I'm going to take you out. And the word of the Lord to Hezekiah was, no, he's going to be destroyed, actually. As I drive very slowly behind somebody, I'm reminded that in the story... There was a period of time that Hezekiah and Judah had to wait, though. They were going to have to eat the food that they had growing, and then the next year they had to eat the food grown from that food. So it's, it's not a very prosperous time. No profitability there. They're just having to make do with what they have. And then the third year there would be bounty. So even though he did everything in the sight of the Lord right, enemy comes against and there are times of difficulty still. But he did the right thing. He called on the on the on Isaiah, who is kind of a picture of the word of God. He sought the Lord. And you realize that his strength wasn't in armies. He didn't go and make a deal with Egypt. You know, some of the other kings of Judah and Israel that didn't follow the ways of the Lord, they would look at the, the natural response, the natural solutions, and go to those instead of call on the Lord. But Hezekiah did the right thing, and yet he still had to wait we have we have times of waiting in our lives too, don't we? We don't have the answer right away. Well, don't you know that the Lord did take care of them? The Lord had mentioned that the the people who brought the word forth, they would be called back for other reasons and they would be put to death. And then when the Lord was talking about how there would be no Assyrian army attacking their city and their territory. The angel of the Lord went out and killed, I think it was 180,000 of that army. And that is a real picture for us because it didn't take the sweat of any man to rout that enemy and completely render it useless. But the angel of the Lord did it. It's a picture that there's a spiritual realm that is more powerful than all of the Egyptian armies that could have helped him out. All because Hezekiah sought God first. And I hope that we're all doing that. I hope that when the word of the enemy comes against you, that you don't rush off to the natural solution or the high place. Another thing that could have happened is if Hezekiah had been a, a king that was not after God's own heart, he could have gone to the high places and consulted other gods. Perhaps the other gods would have a better word. In this case, it turned out that he had sought 
the one true God, and that one true God had his back. It was interesting that the Assyrian king, the the word from Assyria was that, look at all these other places I've conquered, and their gods didn't do them any good. Look at this god. This one didn't do it. Look at this god. This god didn't do it. Look at this god for these people. That didn't do it. I took them all out. But Hezekiah and his people knew that those kings were simply wood and hay and not true. And they could rely on the Lord. Which brings me to a little side story I want to bring up here. There was a comment earlier in Facebook about why is it so hard for some people to accept Christianity and stuff? And one of the comments was, you know, it looks like Christians are so one-sided about things and and don't don't take a, a broader view of the world and things. How come they're so very set in their ways and how come they're so black and white about certain things? And while I will say that there is place for grace and mercy when you're dealing with people who don't believe and who haven't come to faith yet, it is true that there are some black and white issues and and the scripture is clear on black and white issues. But the but the what I want to bring up here is and how these two stories kind of pull together is the king of Assyria is saying, look at all these different peoples, all these different opinions, if you will, all these different worldviews. They look at their different gods as the answer, and yet they were all destroyed. And what I'm saying is that the world has full of different views, different opinions. And as much as these countries that were destroyed by the Assyrian king, as much as they believed, believed, believed their worldview and that their God was going to handle their situation, it didn't. They were defeated. And that king, or I'm sorry, that, that deity that they worshipped showed that there was no, nothing there. And so can I say to you today that the world today is full of different worldviews. And I want to be like Hezekiah. I might not, I might not be popular with the, with the Assyrian king or with all the other peoples who trust in their gods. I might not be popular because I'm saying that my God is more than just wood and clay but is real and is the one true God. So automatically saying that, it offends every other worldview. The worldview that says my God is the way it is. I've offended them. And also the worldview that might say, well, you shouldn't have the worldview of that your way is the right way. You should have the worldview that all the ways are the right way. I'm sorry, but my worldview can't stand and can't agree with that one. So I'm going to offend that worldview. In fact, Jesus 
said that we were that he was the rock I think I'm getting this right but he would offend it would offend the world the world is offended at his statement essentially that he's saying that he is God and the one way to to the father so to answer the question there really isn't a really good answer for someone whose worldview can accept Christianity as the only way. There's no answer that would satisfy that. So it will always be offending to the to that person. And I I, I can't I won't apologize for that. Jesus said, you know, some will come and some won't. All we can do as Christians, folks, is declare what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that Jesus was the only way. And it, it's really by faith that someone would come to the knowledge that He truly is Lord. It's a, it's a faith thing. So if, you, if you're dealing with somebody who has to have it proven to them, just don't get into the arguments. Don't become the argumentative Christian that has to try to prove everything. I hope that I'm not coming across that way. Because I really can't prove it to you. You either have to accept it or not accept it. I can show you maybe how it it is helping my life. And how knowing God has helped me overcome things in my life that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. But ultimately, if someone's going to be offended at Jesus, there's not a whole lot that the Christian can do. Because what we shouldn't do is water down the gospel to, to please somebody. That's Just don't do that. And it's happening all over the place. In this day and age, there is a lot of that watering down going on. So, you know, I wanted to touch on that, that really there is no answer, really. If someone doesn't want to believe in Jesus Christ and his gospel because they're offended that the Christian way is too I don't want to say isolating because that's not really the word. I mean, that's not what we're to be about. But if they're offended because the Christian way seems to be easy to offend, then apparently that's not for them. And I pray that they recognize that it's much broader than that. But, you know, the enemy is going to be offended at what Jesus has done and what Jesus can do in the life of someone who puts their faith in him. He's going to be offended, and that's his biggest ploy, is to bring division. So all I can do when it comes to that kind of situation is just tell it like it is. You know, Jesus told it like it is. When he would preach, he would tell it like it is. And the, and the religious people of the day were offended. 
A couple other interesting things in the story that I wanted to touch on that kind of spoke to me. I think it's 2 Kings chapter 19. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that you can change God's mind with prayer? I think that there are plenty of stories in the Old Testament, maybe even the New, where God was going to do something and then there was a prayer that went forth and it changed God's answer. Here's a case. Hezekiah was told by Isaiah the prophet, get your house in order because you're because this illness that you have is going to take you out. It's, that's pretty much it for you. And Hezekiah prayed right then and there. This is a great picture. He got the word from the Lord through Isaiah. He instantly began praying. Isaiah is leaving. Hezekiah is praying and reminding God, did I not do everything that you wanted me to do? Did I not do everything that you wanted me to do? As far as taking down the high places and and all of those things. And then the Lord spoke to Isaiah before Isaiah had even gotten out of the building. And told him to go back and give Hezekiah the new word of the Lord. And it basically is that I've heard your prayer and I'm going to heal you and I'm going to give you 15 more years. Not too shabby. God is a healing God. So he had a physical ailment that the Lord healed. And he wasn't going to do it. At least if we believe that the word that had come from Isaiah the first time was truly God. And I guess that's question, you know, you could question that because the prophet, you know, we don't always think about it, but, you know, prophets were men and could not hear right. So maybe Isaiah didn't hear right. Isaiah prayed and then the Lord gave a clearer word to Isaiah and say, no, 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 you must have had it wrong. Give him the right word. Or indeed... God's mind was changed. Is that, I don't know, is that weird to think about? Is that, is that sacrilegious to think that that God could change his mind? There's other examples where that happened. I believe in the life of Moses, there, there was a similar situation. Makes you ask the question, well, what's prayer then? If it's not 
asking the Lord for something that you don't see yet to come to pass or for someone's eyes to be open to the word of the Lord so that they could come to a, a, a new understanding of the gospel. I mean, isn't prayer asking for something to change? Because if it's, I mean, that's part of it. That's a supplication when you're asking, I think that's the right word, when you're asking for something. I don't know if that's a root word of supply. I don't know. But make your supplication. I mean, that's one way to pray, asking for things. Another way to pray is simply to talk with your father, which I'm doing right now. For wisdom, in my case, I'm asking for his wisdom. But, you know, a lot of the examples in Scripture are a supplication prayer. You're asking the Lord for something. I don't know, I just, I thought it was kind of cool to think about the fact that he was able to, apparently, change God's mind about a situation. You know, when we think about it now, see, this is before Jesus died on the cross, this Old Testament situation. But now, you know, imagine this. Imagine if you're praying to God and you're saying, you know, imagine you know that you're sick and you're on your deathbed and, and, and someone is giving you a word that, you know, this is going to be it. Get your house in order. And then you say something like, you pray to the Lord, Lord, you know how unfaithful I've been to you. You know how many times I've missed it. You know how many times I've cursed your name and neglected your word and, and didn't spend time in prayer with you and, and hated my fellow man. You know all those times. Please hear my prayer. <laughs> You'd probably think, I don't think he's going to honor your prayer like he did Hezekiah's. But can I tell you something? You're on this side of the cross. And what that means is, when God sees you, He sees you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. In other words, all those failures that you've had don't disqualify you from making that prayer. It's as though you're like Hezekiah who you could say is pretty much blameless. I mean, he was a real man, obviously. He had some faults, but he was still doing a lot of the right things. And God is looking at you like he would have looked at Hezekiah. And then you can pray a prayer that changes things. Things in your life need to be changed? Anything? At this point in my life, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what do I need to have changed in my life? 
I think you get to a certain point and you realize you realize that some of the things you chased after when you were younger, like money and fame and position and job and all those trappings of the human existence, either you might have them and you recognize that, yes, they're good, but they're not they're not the end. They're not, they're not the ultimate goal. In fact, it almost seems like everything that you could try to attain in life come to nothing. Kind of like what Solomon was saying in Ecclesiastes. All these things. And he was, he was kind of a wealthy dude. If anybody had spin rims on their chariot, it would be this dude. And yet he says it's all nothing. It's, it's, it's like the wind. One of, my, one of my prayers that I pray for myself and my family and even you is that we would all realize that way sooner than, than when a lot of people realize that. I think that would change the direction of our life. I mean, don't you? Because you, we, we seek after all this earthly stuff when we find out that it's not satisfying, ultimately, and it's really the things that are more eternal that are the things that are more tangible. Really tangible. Like, eternally tangible. You need to check out the podcast called Eternally Tangible. I think that's what I called it. It gives a picture of what things are important and what things might not be as important. How tragic would it be for us to go through life missing out on what's really important and realize that there's a lot of time that was lost. And I don't want to lose any more time. Hezekiah got some time back, didn't he? He got 15 more years. What do you suppose he did in those 15 years? It doesn't tell us, at least not in Second Kings there. I got a feeling that you go through an experience like that and you're going to make every one of those 15 years count. You know, you were this close to not having it. Well, let's think about this now, fellow riders. You may be this close to not having it. And you got it right now. So let's put it to good use, eh? I say the things that are eternal are the things that... are the things that last. So, I guess what I'm saying is... Spend some time in prayer with your Father. See if He won't give you some 
kind of nudges in the right direction for what for how you're to use your time maybe maybe getting your thoughts written down about what the Lord has done in your life like a, a journal of some sort would be really helpful for me even though I like to consider myself a writer I much rather do it in this format to capture what the Lord has been doing now, however, however it works for you, I do want to recommend that you make a record. I think that's that's the way to do it. Make a record of what the Lord has been speaking to you, how, however you can do that, writing it down. Maybe you're a scrapbooker. Who knows? Make something that can be shared and communicated to other people. If it's a diary or something that's really private, obviously you don't necessarily share that, but but something like that that helps us remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives. That's that's helpful. And it helps us when it comes time to share the gospel with other people. So remember there's people with different worldviews out there. You know, how you're going to reach people like that who might be super offended at the gospel. It might be beyond your thinking. It might be beyond what you can do. And it might be scary because of that fact. But you're tuned into the Lord. The provider of all wisdom. And you might have people in your family even that you wish would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and know that they're loved and that the mistakes that they've made in their past can really be wiped out. and They don't have to be remembered and, and continually, um, <laughs> continually remembered to bring them down. The Lord wants to bring us up. The Lord wants to bring you up today. The Lord wants you to rout your enemies. You trust in the Lord and the enemies will be routed. Your enemies can't steal your land, by the way. They can't steal the land that God's given you. So you need to know the land that God's given you. How do you know that? Get in the Word. Spend time with Him in prayer. Spend time with other Christians who... You can hang with and encourage, and they'll encourage you. It's really powerful to be hanging with other believers. So you need to do that. This is not just your deal. This is a family of God. This is a kingdom of God. So get with other believers. Find out how cool this life of faith can really be. All right? So stay in the Word. Live in peace. Pray for those who persecute you. And I will see you on the flip.